All right, let's dive in to today's content. Do you all know what today's topic is? Yes. Okay, so everybody do this with me. Oh. Okay, good. We'll get that out of our system. So we're going to be talking about downsizing and decluttering. Now, we've talked about this many times. This is not our first conversation. How many of you have been to a talk here at the Truth Series or with one of us in the group who have talked about downsizing and decluttering? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you are still not sure what to do? Raise your hand. How many of you still don't really want to do it? Raise your hand. Okay, how many of you really wish you weren't here today and somebody would just do it for you with a magic wand? Yes, okay, right. I get it, I do. So uh, there's two people that have recently done this that I want to appreciate. I don't think either of them are here today, Martha or Linda, because... Oh, yeah, Linda's here. Hi, Linda. All right, you're getting ready to be on screen. Are you ready? All right. Linda on the right and Ms. Martha on the left. Martha's living in Dallas now, so she's not coming back. But these folks graduated from what we call our Downsizers Club. And that means they have officially moved from their house into a smaller space successfully. And uh, we graduate people after they have completed the entire process. So Linda closed on her house, what was it, last week or two weeks ago? March 3rd, there we go. And so I uh, just want to appreciate them for going through the club. And we'll talk more about that later. But was it a process, Linda, or an event? A process culminating in an event, yeah? Yeah, I'll repeat it. Yep. Yep. Okay, so here, so let me repeat that. Hang on, hold that thought. So she said, so every time she started to declutter before, she held on to stuff because she still had space for it. Keep going. Then it was time to move. Ooh, what great advice. She said, so if you're going to declutter, go ahead and pretend like you're moving and go ahead and get rid of it. Because, amen, Martha, yeah, Martha and Johnny will graduate next month, right? Because they're getting ready to finish up too. So we're going to talk about some of the challenges. We're going to talk about some of the uh, solutions to those challenges. And then, like always, uh, after I kind of present some of the points, then we'll do a Q&A. And so write down any questions that you're having in the moment, like, oh, my gosh, I want to ask about this, or I'd like to know about that. The good news is if I can't answer it, there are people in the room who can. Either people who do this for a living, who are on site here, or some of our education partners, or people who have just done it and can speak to it from a personal experience. So let's get rolling. So everyone downsizes. Can we agree with that? Eventually. Okay, so I want to be really clear what I mean by this. So let's kind of go through. By the way, not everyone declutters. Right? Everyone downsizes, but not everyone declutters. So we're going to talk about the difference in a moment. Here's what clutter is. Let's define clutter according to the dictionary. To fill or cover with scattered or disordered things that impede movement or reduce effectiveness. 
Clutter as a noun is crowded or confused mass or, co or collection or things that clutter a place. Would anybody say that they have clutter? Okay, great. Not everybody does. Some people do. And it could be one spot of clutter or two spots of, or it could be a lot of clutter. Um, everybody's different. But clutter, decluttering means to what? Remove it. Yeah. Now, Marie Kondo, have you heard of Marie Kondo? She wrote a book about 2012, I think, called Spark Joy, right after writing this book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And the subtitle is The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing. Now, Marie Kondo, I, I got the book from the library because I used to have it, but I downsized it, gave it away. And the little sticker here says, international bestseller, 2 million copies sold. The newest book says, 9 million copies sold. Guys, the decluttering, downsizing business is a multi-billion dollar industry. Why do we think that is? <coughs> people have too much you get to fill in the blank okay so everybody calls it something different <laughs> some say stuff some use the other s word so it's whatever you want to call it but in her little book and I, I picked it up from the library again because I thought you know I wonder if she has a definition of declutter she actually calls it tidying right tidying we've all tidied up yeah for coming guests coming in or whatever Here's what she says about tidying. The key to success in tidying is to finish discarding first. Now she has a method. It's called the Conmarie method. And if you want to get her book, feel free. But as I picked up the book, what I was actually looking for was to give you some sort of advice from her since she sold 9 million copies of a book. I thought she's an expert, right? about how to get rid of it, how to discard it. You know what she does not talk about at all in her book? What to do with it. At all. I literally looked through the entire book and thought, she's telling people in every section to discard, find a place for things, and then when she says to discard it, I'm thinking, but then there should be a how do I do that? There's not. And she sold how many books? million. So why do you think she doesn't tell you how to do it? She doesn't know. We all have the same problem, right? No matter where you live, no matter how you live, this is the problem. So in all fairness, Shannon and I had a big conversation about this yesterday in that her book was written um, for people in Japan, frankly, first. Right? That's where she's from, that's where she was raised. But then it proliferated across the world. And they wrote it, they, they translated it into multiple languages. And it's really good for people who live in places like New York City, right? Uh, Philadelphia, really like inner city where they live in high rises where they can't have estate cells, places like that. And so when she says discard, here's what she means. Get rid of it however you can. And for some people, that means putting it on the curb in the middle of New York City so that somebody will come by and pick it up. Whoever picks it up first gets it, right? There is no Goodwill down the street. 
right, for the most part, you're basically just discarding it however you can. And so I like her book. I think it's, uh, she's got a lot of really great points and it's a very spiritual process that she has. It's very much about how our material possessions feel to us and then how we think about them and how we connect or disconnect from them. And so it's a really interesting book. Again, I think it falls short because most of us want to know, okay, well, I'm going to discard this. It doesn't spark joy. What the heck do I do with it now? Okay. So here's, here's an example of the difference between decluttering and downsizing. I want to be really clear that these are two entirely different processes that sometimes happen collectively together and sometimes happen separately as different processes. So declutter, on the left, same kitchen as on the right. I pulled these off the internet. The, the clutter in the kitchen, you can see, and then the declutter, the, the after picture on the right. Well, my question is, what happened to all that other stuff? It was either reorganized somewhere else, or it was discarded, right? But the whole issue is they didn't have to do it. Can we be clear? Like Linda said, it could be, those dishes could be repositioned in a cupboard somewhere else, right? Nobody had to move into a smaller space, so it was just reorganized. This one is very similar, so you've got a pantry on the left, and it's pretty cluttered, and then on the right, somebody has come in and put in, you know, little um, uh, shelving systems or little uh, buckets or baskets to organize things a little bit better, and more shelves, it looks like. So what is the difference between decluttering and downsizing? Well, Merriam-Webster's dictionary did not give us this definition, so I made one up. So this is the Nikki Buckaloo dictionary. Um, it's a verb. To downsize is to relocate from a larger space to a smaller one, yes? To reduce excess personal accumulation due to a reduction in available space. We also like to call it right-sizing, simplifying, and moving, okay? Downsizing, it's what Linda just did. Linda, do you know about how many square feet you moved out of and into? Yeah. So from 1150 to 800, not a huge square footage change, but did you leave a garage? And you moved someplace without a garage. You had a storage shed, now you don't have a storage shed, right? So not just square footage, but space, right? Overall space. So this is a, uh, a floor plan for a modern day 2,800 square foot house on the left, okay? I just want you to take it in. You've got a master bedroom, a great room, a dining room, a two car garage, a bedroom that could be a study. So it's either a three or four bedroom, lots of closets. And then the picture up on the top right is an independent living community apartment, similar to what you might find at Concordia or Spanish Cove. So down at the bottom right is another floor plan, and that would be an assisted living apartment at one of our communities uh, like we have here, Bradford Village, Concordia, or Spanish Cove. So you're looking at the difference between about 2,800 square feet to about 1,000 square feet, down to about 600 or 550 square feet. This is what I call downsizing. 
This is a kitchen of an actual client that moved to a cottage at Bradford Village. This is her kitchen at her, her, her home that we were moving her from. It had 28 cabinet doors and 15 drawers. She moved to a cottage at Bradford Village, a nice little home, totally remodeled, with 13 cabinet doors and four drawers. Do you think she had to downsize some of her kitchen stuff? Yes. This is an apartment at Spanish Cove with 11 cabinet doors and four drawers. So now think about moving from 15 drawers to four drawers. Those of you who have kitchen stuff, you know that uh, drawer space, right? When you don't have it, what do you do with it? Then this is a, uh, this is the kitchen of an assisted living at Spanish Cove. Very similar, most assisted livings are very similar, so this is maybe configured differently. But you have four cabinet doors, one drawer, a space for a microwave, and a space for a mini fridge. So remember that kitchen I showed you? Okay. This is what we call downsizing. Right? Okay, so there's a difference between decluttering and downsizing. This is a living room. Uh, this two pictures I stuck together, so it may look a little odd, but this is the open area of a living room of a client of ours that moved to Dallas. Six chairs, two sofas, two coffee tables, a sofa table, a buffet, a liquor cabinet, a serving table, a dining table, six dining chairs, an ottoman, two trees with some plants, and two oriental rugs. The house was about 3,000 square feet total. She moved, they moved to an apartment in Dallas on the uh, ninth floor, I believe. They took from that living room four chairs, one sofa, three side tables, and a large decorative vase or vase, depending on where you live. Did she downsize? A lot of people go from a three car garage to a carport. Do you lose a little bit of storage space when you do that? Yes. Everybody downsizes. Did you guys hear me say everybody downsizes? This is the final resting place of some of the folks that we have who have downsized. <laughs> zero sofas, zero chairs, zero vases, zero, zero, zero. One outfit, one pair of shoes, one watch that they will remove before they put you in the ground, right? <coughs> Got it? Everyone downsizes. It just depends on whether we do it voluntarily, involuntarily, or someone else does it because we're no longer there, right? Okay, so the question we most often get from people is do I need to declutter before I downsize? Right, it's a fair question. You're thinking, okay, in the future, I don't plan on doing it anytime soon, but I would probably either downsize myself or I might have to downsize out of necessity due to my health or condition or whatever, or my kids will have to deal with this or my heirs or my neighbor or my friend or whomever you have designated for that after you're gone, right? So the answer to the question is really it depends. 
It depends. And there are three questions I ask people when they ask me that before I can say yes or no. The first question is, how long before you plan to downsize? And if the answer is, I don't ever plan to downsize, then you probably should start now with decluttering, right? Because you have forever to do it, but start now and do it a little at a time. Or not, if you want your kids to handle it on your behalf. And then the second question is, are you comfortable in your current space until then? If you're, say, going to downsize in three to five years, but you're happy with your space, you're comfortable, it doesn't feel uncomfortable to you, it doesn't feel... When I say cluttered, some people live cluttered, and they like it, right? And there's no judgment around that. Clutter has become a dirty word, and it's really not. It, it depends on how you feel about it. If you like stuff that's piled, like I have an uncle who he, he piles stuff on his, uh, his bar in his kitchen. And my, it drives my aunt crazy, but that's how he organizes things. Like he'll have all of his bank stuff on the end of the bar, and then he'll have this and this and this. And that's, it's cluttered. I think it's cluttered. But that's how he lives, and it does not bother them, and they live that way. So do you have to change that? No, right? There's no rule that says you can't live like that. It's your house. Live the way you darn well please. <coughs> then the third question is, how much control... Do you want to have over the process? Now that's the question you probably would write down. If you're going to write any of those questions down, that's the one you have to really ask yourself. How much control do you want over the process? Because if something happens to my uncle, for instance, tomorrow, and heaven forbid he has a stroke or develops cognitive uh, illness or something, and we have to help do it, does he ultimately get to control the process? No, right? So really, those people who ask, should I or do I need to start decluttering, the answer is it's up to you. Do it if you want or don't do it, but know that the consequences are somebody's going to do it for you. Let me illustrate my point. This is a house uh, that we sold a few years back, a normal house in Oklahoma City on a corner lot, beautiful home. You drive by it several times, you wouldn't think twice about it. Okay, woman who lived there had been there over 45, 50 years, uh, lived alone, no children. She had some really good friends who checked in on her from time to time. She had a financial advisor who uh, would do very nice things for her, arrange for doctor's appointments. Their family uh, was close with her family, and so they weren't just financial advisors. They were also what I consider friends, and they did a lot of things for her. Over time, she uh, developed some challenges, both physical and cognitive, and when they would go to do things for her or with her, they would go to the door and she wouldn't let them in. Red flag number one. When someone will not let you in their home that you know and that you're close with, there's a red flag. Something is going on in there. Either they're hiding a man in the corner of the room back there they don't want you to know about, or their house is in a space they don't want you to see. Okay, And it's usually the latter, not the former. So I don't think you can really see these well because of these projectors, but that's a kitchen or dining room table. You can kind of see that it's got some things on it, right? This is a bedroom. That is her bed that she would have slept on if she were able to. This is the 
uh, table and chair next to her bed with a window there and you can't see this but uh, between the chair and the window or the chair and the table um, the window had been broken due to something we don't know why and rain had rained in and mildewed and molded all of the wall the sheetrock the curtains all of the carpet there were uh, maggots in the carpet um, there were animals coming in to the house. Neighborhood cats had found their way in the house and had defecated all over the bedroom floor. <coughs> this is the closet, oh sorry, the closet on the right, all those hangers, that was her master bedroom closet. This is her bathroom. And this is where my heart breaks because it had gotten so out of control that she had plumbing backup problems and she didn't tell anybody and the bathroom was not usable. You could not flush the toilet. So she would utilize the toilet paper and then pile it in the bathroom. The counter was, um, you could not see the top of the counter with all the cosmetics and cleaning materials and facial things. Um, this is the secondary bedroom and some of the uh, tables in her, her house. This is the end result. I don't know if you can tell from that picture, but that's the dumpster in her driveway. She fell. Uh, she could not sleep on her bed, so she slept on the couch. She had some back pain. She fell off the couch in an attempt to get up, best they can tell. She crawled to her door opened the big door and then laid in the entryway behind the storm door until someone saw her there. Called 911. They came over, got the neighbor, they called the friends, they got everybody that they could get to help her, put her in the hospital. She was in the hospital for a period of time. They treated her for toxicity because as you can imagine, she was living in a house that was very unclean and unsanitary. Um, she was malnourished, she was dehydrated, and she was very confused. They wondered if she had dementia. Turns out she really did not. But when you don't eat or drink for several days, and when you're living in a house that you're inhaling things that you shouldn't inhale, you become ill. So they discharged her from the hospital to rehab for a short time, and then she was relocated by her friends to a nearby senior living community, independent living. Let me point something out. She didn't need assisted living even, or long-term care. Once she came out of the hospital and was hydrated and eating okay, she was able, with a walker, to get around just fine in a, a one-bedroom apartment at an independent living community and continues to do so today. <coughs> it had to get to this point, you guys, before anybody noticed. She could have died there on the floor waiting for someone to see her. Okay? Let me just be really clear. And so when we came into the, the process was after they found her and she's in the hospital. So we were contacted by uh, the, the people who were her caregivers knew us, called us and said, I don't know if you can help with this, but if you can, we would like for, to have your help. So we went out and assessed the situation and basically said nothing in that house was saleable because unfortunately they won't do a sale under those circumstances. So 
we uh, had them bring out a, we had I think two of those dumpsters, right Chris? Maybe three, three, three of those dumpsters. The first one we filled with the household items, all of the household items. We literally went through and picked some of the things we thought might be meaningful to her. Pictures, some tchotchkes, you know, for decoration. Uh, none of her clothing was salvageable. Uh, none of her bedding was salvageable. So we picked some things we thought would make her feel at home in her new space, and everything else went in the dumpster. It makes me a little bit sick just thinking about it. You know, it makes me sad for her. And then everything in the house had to be pulled out, carpet, flooring, wallboard, um, countertops, everything. everything. Everything came out, and the house was completely redone and then sold by the advisor that was working with her. She never came back to the house after she went to the hospital. She couldn't. So, why start now? I, I don't like to be a sky is falling kind of person, but I can assure you that this woman did not ever think this would happen to her. Nobody thinks it will happen to them. She had friends. They checked on her. Of course this wouldn't happen to her. But it did. And so we all have to kind of think, what if? What if that's me? I don't, how do I want my story to play out? So when we're kids, you know, and we're downsizing or we're moving at all, we go, you know what? This is easy. It's a piece of cake. Yeah, there's lots of things that I need to do, but i got friends. We'll just do this, right? Bring your pickup truck over. I'm going to buy some beer and pizza, and we're going to make a day of it. Yeah? That downsizing elephant doesn't look too big. It's, it's pretty manageable. We can chew it up, spit it out, no problem, right? Chase it with a beer. Middle adulthood runs around. Middle adulthood is, I can do this. Schedule the chiropractor and buy some ibuprofen. We got this, right? We're going to lift it. We're going to do it. We're going we're gonna to make this happen. Yeah, the elephant's a little bit bigger, but we still got it. No worries. Then early retirement, it's more like, honey, call those people. It's worth the money, right? Write the check. Let's do it. Or it could be call the kids, right? They'll come help us do it. That's the other way that looks, too. But then the elephant gets really large as people reach older adulthood. And then it, it's so big that they just go, you know what? Leave it for the kids. They'll do it. They deserve it. Now, I didn't add that. that. That was her words, right? Uh, and if you don't like your kids, this is a perfect solution. Perfect solution. Uh, Shannon gave me a really great article that was in the New Yorker uh, a while back. She posted it on our website, the Buffalo Realty Group website, or Facebook, sorry, Facebook page. And I read to Chris last night the very last tip, tip number five. A major perk of death is that you don't have to clean up after yourself. If you can't muster the courage to deal with your free storage units, leave the contents to your heirs. Mention in the will that there's something valuable in one of them. There you go. There you go. And it's small. Valuable item is small. Okay. So here are the reasons that I think it's important to either doing it or at least, I don't know why my mic's doing that, but either doing it or plan to start doing it. 
here are the reasons. These are these are the three or four reasons. And Linda might concur with this. Maybe Martha Seiler, Johnny, some of you guys who have done it. If you have to do it fast, like if you have to make a decision due to health reasons or go ahead and Chris, we have no mics now. Glad this is not a comedy act because that would have really messed with my mojo. <laughs> All right, I'm going to hold it in my hand, Chris, and see if that helps, maybe. That's up to you. Let me turn it off. Okay, how's that? Can you, can you guys hear me? All right, Chris said no singing. When I have a handheld, I have a tendency to want to sing. I don't feel like this has as much volume as the other one. You guys okay? They said I'm good. Okay. All right, so uh, where was I? Yeah. So when we have to do this quickly, when we have to make decisions without um, time, we don't get to mourn, we don't get to celebrate, and we don't get to reflect. And that's where we have regret. That's when people will say, I regret that I didn't do this, or I regret that I didn't do that, or I wish I'd have saved this, or I wish I'd have saved that. And it's because they had to make decisions so quickly that they didn't get to think it through. The other thing that doing it earlier uh, in preparation does is it reduces decision fatigue. You guys have heard me talk about decision fatigue. They also, in academics, they call it ego depletion. There's the formal term, ego depletion. So basically, it, when what we notice when we move people, and this is across the board, it doesn't matter who it is, when you get to the latter part of your move and you begin to have to make lots of decisions very, in a very short period of time, so you're, let's say you're on uh, pre preparation for packing, and we go in the kitchen and we open up the cabinet and the move manager says, okay, you've got cups and plates and saucers in this cabinet. Which ones of these do you want to keep and which ones do you want to leave behind? And you're saying, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, over and over and over again, all day long, for more than usually one day. You go <coughs> to the closet where you keep all your linens, Martha, and <laughs> towels, and and so you've done this the whole day, and now you get to those towels, and they say, do you want to keep these, some of them or all of them? And Martha goes, oh, just take them all. Well, that's not really how it works. So she's justifying now. We call this justification of our decisions. Okay. But so when I'm un I, I actually had gotten the pleasure of helping that day with the unpack of the silers at their new apartment at Spanish Cove. And I got tasked with the bathroom boxes, which is great. I love bathrooms. Uh, so I was unpacking boxes and I took towels out and I put them and I thought, okay, that's great. And I opened another box and there were more towels. And I, okay, well, all right, I'll put those here. And then I opened another box and I was like, oh my gosh, there are more towels. So I finally had to go to the hall closet, and I don't know how many, I wish I'd have counted now, but there had to have been 45 towels, Martha. Well, not quite. Maybe 35. Maybe, maybe 25. Okay, she's saying 25, I'll meet her in the middle, 35 towels. So, you know, it, it, but, here's, but here's what happens. In her defense, when you have had to make that many decisions, at some point you just go, I'm not making another decision. Here's where you notice it the most. 
How many of you, at the end of a long day, either when you're traveling or you've, you've had errands to run or you're still working, and at the end of the day, you say, honey, where do you want to eat? And they say, I don't care. You decide. That's decision fatigue. You, what happens is you don't want to make another decision, and so unfortunately, one of two things will happen. You either give somebody else decision-making power, and you just live with it, right? Chris may pick something, and I may go, I really don't want to eat that, but I did tell him to decide, so that's what we're going to eat, right? Or you end up taking all of it in our world. So move management is not like eating out. We don't say, well, I don't know what to eat, so I'll just eat all of it. It doesn't work that way. But when you're packing at your house, and we say, what do you think about this? You just say, take them all. I'll decide later. So in Martha's living room, she and Johnny are sitting on the sofa in their new apartment, and it's coming along nicely, and I'm looking for places to stash towels. And I walk in and I said to Martha, Martha, how many showers do you guys take every week? And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, do you, I mean, two showers, three showers a week? She said, yeah, probably that. And I said, well, how many towels do you use with every shower? Well, what are you, why are you asking me this? I said, because you have 45 towels. Now, I love Martha and Johnny, and we've gotten to know them, so I can ask personal questions like this. But here's what she said. Well, I'm not going to need all those towels. Maybe my daughter would like them. And they did. But guess what? Martha and Johnny paid for us to pack them, move them, unpack them, and put them away. And we did an excellent job, right? But that would not have had to happen necessarily if it wasn't for decision fatigue. Now, we, Johnny and Martha, by the way, did exactly what we told them to do. Like, they, they followed our system by the book. So there are just some things you can't avoid. Decision fatigue is one of them. There becomes a point where uh, Jean, one of my friends, that I showed you the picture of her house that had a, the two living rooms to, to, uh, attached, and when she moved into the high-rise in Dallas. And the last day, I will never forget, where she had gone over and over and over this um, serving table of crystal, beautiful serving crystal they had had for years, and it was clean and beautiful. And I would ask her, what are you going to do with that crystal, yes or no? No, I'm not taking it. No, I'm not taking it. No, I'm not taking it. The day of the move, she kept walking by that and looking at it. And I thought... She's taking it. And she finally came in there and she goes, Nikki, go ahead and pack that crystal. I said, okay, where are we packing it to go? I need to label it. Well, I'll just take it to the new place and decide later. And I said, no, no, you already decided like five times that you didn't want, nor did you have a space for that crystal. And her comment was, my daughter-in-law might want it. I said, can we call her now? <laughs> we packed the crystal, but part of it was is she was so tired, and she knew that if she didn't decide right then, she might have a regret later. Okay? So, the third one is it, this: doing this earlier appeases your social conscience. That's if you have one. <laughs> And I, I, 
you don't have one, I don't really have one. So when I have clothes that I don't like anymore, if I don't have time to drop them off at Goodwill, I just throw them in the dumpster. Go ahead, boo me. Go ahead, boo. I don't care. I paid a dollar for it at Goodwill to begin with. I can do what I don't know, please, with it. You follow me? Now, if I could take all the things that I wanted to give away and send them to somebody in the Ukraine who is reestablishing themselves as a refugee, and I could do it, I would. But guess what? It's not that easy. It's not. So, if you have, if it's important to you that things go to the right place, and we'll talk about those places in a minute, then you start early. Don't think you're going to do that the week of your move because you're not. And don't think that your kids are going to do it if you can't. It'll go in a dumpster long before it'll go someplace that you want it to go. And then the last one is empowerment. It just feels good. Once you've downsized, it, it feels good to be rid of the things that you really don't need or want. Am I right about that? Are you guys there yet, Linda? Yeah, it feels good to know that you don't have all that excess stuff. So the question most people have, just like I had with the Marie Kondo book, it's hard to answer. When should I do it? How do I do it? And how much is this going to cost me to do it? Alright, so let's deal with the when should I do it first. I don't even have a slide for this because you guys are going to answer the question. When should I begin decluttering? It's a two-word answer. No, it's a two-word answer. Are you ready? Yes, good job. You guys get gold stars. It depends. What does it depend on? Those three questions that we have right there, right? Now here's why I say that. Some of you are going to leave here, and this has happened before. I've, I've done this talk, and I'm, here's what happens. People leave here, and they feel guilty. They feel bad because they aren't downsizing, or they're not decluttering, rather. You don't have to feel, you don't have to declutter unless you want to. Does that make sense? So do not leave here and say, that woman stood up there and said, I need to start decluttering now. I said you have an option. And if you want to, even Marie Kondo in her book says, you cannot make people declutter that do not, or tidy, she uses tidy. You cannot make people tidy that don't want to tidy. So if you are here because your spouse is untidy and you want to learn how to make them tidy, just forget it. Everybody's space is their space. And so you only need to declutter if you want to. So if you're planning to downsize, let's say in the next year, I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't go ahead and start decluttering. But if you're going to do it down the road and, you, and you're concerned that if something happened to you between now and then, your kids would have to deal with it, then should you probably start now? Yes. Okay. So you, you get that there are criteria. So it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. So let me get back to where I was here. So the answer to when should I start doing it, decluttering meaning that, is whenever it makes sense for you. Now the other question is when should I start downsizing? If you're going to downsize, this can be done very quickly. Downsizing is fast. Once you've figured out where you're going to move, we can downsize you in about what? How many? Week? Yeah, it takes us a few weeks, right? Yeah, just a few weeks. But if you're decluttering, that can take a whole blooming lifetime. Okay? So here's, here's what I would say. So how do I do it? If you're going to start decluttering now, not 
Downsizing. This is different. If you're going to start decluttering, here are the four ways you get rid of things. Marie Kondo calls it discarding, if you're discarding things. The question is, where do I discard them? Where and what? Okay, you have things that you currently want to give to someone else. Let's say photographs. You have photographs of family members that you want to be passed on to somebody who will preserve them. Or you have your, uh, your memorabilia from your weddings or your anniversaries or something like that. Or maybe it's something somebody gave to you that you would like for them to have back if you're not going to use it anymore, right? Okay, great. So go ahead and do that. Go ahead and do that. Now here's what's interesting about that. We have a client right now who will remain nameless, not in this room, and not even one of our attendees. They're moving from an independent living or an assisted living apartment into a smaller, more of a long-term care apartment. And the client wanted to give a bunch of things to her daughter. And so Danielle's working with her and they're doing a FaceTime call with the daughter and she says to the daughter, okay, this is your pile. She goes, what do you mean? She said, this is the things your mom has said she wants me to bring to your house. And she goes, oh. And Danielle was like, well, what would you like me to do? And she goes, well, let's start two more piles. The one pile is move it on. Move it on, right? And the other pile is bring to my house. So of the pile that mom wanted her to have, she held up every item in the pile and said yes or no, and she would say move it on, move it on, send to my house, move it on. Things that her mom wanted her to have, she didn't want. So ask them, do they want it? And if they don't want it, then move it on. Otherwise, guess what they're gonna do? Move it on. Donate it. Oh, well, I want to, uh, yeah, donate. I want to talk about donate. So donate. Okay. There's a lot of conversation around donating right now. Where to donate. And you have a handout in that second page of your handout or third, whichever it is. There's a list of places to donate things. We've handed it out before, but I wanted to make sure that the new people got it. Uh, is it the very back, last page of that staple handout? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. And those are, those are the places we know about. There are obviously others. But when you start donating things, here's uh, the thing. In your handout, there's also a page uh, before that page that is that says my action plan, my today action plan. Okay, so I have that. Thank you very much, Jerry. That the today action plan is that is a list of things that you could begin to donate. And this would not affect, basically, significantly affect anyway, an estate sale should you decide to have one later. So you basically go out and you go into your house and you say, okay, so I have these bookshelves. And on these bookshelves, I have 42 bazillion books. Now raise your hand if you're a bookworm like me and you love, love, love books. Okay, good. So you have all these books and you know that you're probably not going to need or want all of them or at the very least, if you're going to downsize, you can't take them all. Okay. Books are not big sellers at estate sales. They will sell, but they're not going to bring you any significant amount of money. It's not going to make or break the bank. So box those books up and get them gone. How do you get them gone? You give them to somebody that you want to, the double library or a particular person. I put a bunch of books in a box um, that I thought my son might have an interest in, kind of business books, personal growth, that kind of thing, uh, about, let's say, 25 books. 
put them in a box. He came over. I said, go through that box. If there's anything you want or Kristen might want in that box, take them. He took two. He took two. That was kind of what I expected. That was fine. I took the rest of them to half price books. And you know what they told me? We got two of them we'll take. The rest of them we'll take, but we're, we're not paying anything for them. Okay, keep them. Now, if you want to donate them to the library for their book drive, do that. If you want to donate them to the villages for their spring cleaning uh, garage sale thing, do it. Whatever makes you feel good about getting rid of them, but the key is what? Moving them on. What most people will do is they'll say, well, I don't either really know where to give them away or who to give them away to, or so I'll just put them in the garage or the storage. And then they sit there for however long taking up space. That's why Marie Kondo says you can't organize until you finish discarding. Okay? She even goes so far as to say people in the storage industry are hoarders. She does. I'm like, whoa, that's a pretty bold statement. People in the storage industry are hoarders. Not just storage people, but like the container store people. The fancy storage people. The closets, go ahead and get rid of your clothes. Clothes are not going to bring anything. <coughs> uh, you can try to consign them if you want to, but I thought my clothes were pretty hip and they laughed at me. <laughs> and my daughter doesn't want my clothes. I gave a bunch of them to Danielle, God love her. She, gave, she wears them out of pity because she knows that I felt, you know. <laughs> she's, like, she's like 12 inches taller than me, so everything that was pants on me are crops on her. It's perfect. Okay, dressers, you can go through those. Get rid of clothing, linens, whatever's in there. Bathroom items. Okay, ladies, you do not need 42,000 tubes of half-used lipstick. <laughs> When you replace your lipstick tube, get rid of the old one. Just get rid of it. You know you do it, and you have boxes of them. You do. The only reason I don't have boxes of them is because MAC gives you a free eyeshadow if you bring five empties. So when I give five empties, I take them to the MAC store, and they give me the MAC counter, and they give me a free eyeshadow, and I give them my empties. It's a good deal. They don't do that at Walgreens. But you don't pay $50 for a tube at Walgreens. <laughs> Okay, so I'm just saying you have options. Bathroom. If you have old, outdated medication, get rid of it. If you have Band-Aids that have been there for 20 years, they don't stick anymore. Get rid of them. Collections. Collections. These are things, when I say collections, I'm, saying, I'm thinking of things like train sets and precious memories and name some. Raggedy Ann and Andy dolls. Raisin collections, like the dancing raisins? Okay, yep, like them. Alright, who else? Beanie Babies. Hummels. Apartment 56. Angels. Salt and pepper shakers. Magnets. Shot glasses. Christmas decor of all kinds. Teacups. Okay, you guys get the idea. I would say there are very few people that don't have some collection of something. Right? Something. And it may not be large, it may be small, but you have a collection. I have one client, she had a Snoopy collection or a, a you know, a, what do you call Peanuts collection. Oh my gosh, she had two bedrooms full of this stuff. And um, 
when in the world did we decide that this stuff should be worth something? We, this stuff isn't worth something. And I'm going to just say, okay, so here's the statistic that's being thrown around out there. 10,000 baby boomers turn 65 every day. If all 65,000 a day decided, or I'm sorry, every, what did I just say? 10,000. If every person decided to have an estate sale right now, how well would that go? So the, I'm just saying, the further into this baby boomer getting into their 70s and 80s we get, the less valuable that stuff you have now is going to be. So either you sell it now for the $2 or you donate it, or we can put it in that dumpster later. But that's it, that's how, I mean, that's how much value it has. So attics and storage buildings. Uh, we have so many clients who tell us, I need to go through the stuff in the attic before I can move. When was the last time you looked at the stuff in the attic? The client will say, hmm, hmm, I can't remember. We go up and get the stuff in the attic, and it's clear that the stuff in the attic has not been looked at in decades because of the layers of dust on it, okay? So, does that person really need to go through it before they move, yes or no? <coughs> Somebody over here said yes. It depends. But the answer is no, they don't need to, but they're going to think they need to, yes? So, would it be good to go ahead and do that now? Yes. Let's go ahead and do it now. Right, let's go ahead and do it now. That's probably the thing we get rid of the most. Uh, people will set a box aside thinking their kids want it. And I can always tell you the kids aren't going to want it. But they think they might want it because it's sentimental. And so they set it aside and we ask the kids, do you want it? And they say no. And we say, what would you like for us to do with it? And there is silence on the phone. And we wait. Well, uh, well, well, would you, and you know what they're wanting to say, would you be willing to throw it away from me is what they're wanting. And so we just break the ice and say, would you like for us to go ahead and donate it? And they go, oh, yes, would you please? And we donate it to the trash. Because the donation place doesn't want it. Now, there are some stuff that's good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But if it's been in the attic 10 years, guys, it's not good stuff. It's fallen apart. And I hate to say that, but even the stuff that my grandkids made in kindergarten that we hang on our tree, what I love, if it's in the attic for 20 years in Oklahoma, it is falling apart. That Play-Doh does not last 20 years in the attic. Okay? So what's the other one? Uh, attics, build, uh, storage buildings, same thing. Kitchens, pantries. Okay, so your kitchens and pantries, you guys have collected stuff, plasticware uh, from every restaurant that you ordered out from for the last two years during COVID. You can go ahead and discard that. It's okay. You know. Um, so there are some people in the room who have exceptional circumstances. You have multiple houses multiple storage buildings, multiple storage units, and some people have hangers, like airplane hangers. If you have these things and they are full, those are actually pretty easy to deal with for your kids. You know how we do it? We call the auctioneer. 
or the estate liquidator and we say we've got a house or storage buildings or whatever full of stuff and can you come out and sell it and they say yep that's easy what's the hard part what's the hard part even after you're gone for your kids and family what's in the house it's what's in your living quarters that's hard because they're not sure about it. it it still feels personal right the stuff in the shed doesn't feel personal at all but the stuff in your house your bedroom your bathroom your closet your study your chair those feel personal so if you can begin just I'll keep the stuff you really want on that bookshelf in your living room since 1972 you've had the same tchotchkes sitting on those shelves if you don't like them anymore get rid of them because you know what happens when you pass your kids feel guilty getting rid of them because they thought you loved them that's why they've been there since 1972 but you just haven't gotten rid of them because why they fill up the space so again this is a psychology class as much as anything right and if you don't care that your kids feel guilty and so what they do is they put it in a box or we put it in a box for them and where do they put it in their home in the attic or the garage or the storage or the closet and then guess who gets to deal with it their kids until you reach the third generation down that's where I'm at and I go I'm not keeping that crap that's how we get antiques that still have no value whatsoever all right so if you're gonna sell it let's talk about selling it oh by the way these are the things you can trash you can trash greedy cards you can trash old files you can trash old receipts as long as you check with your CPA to make sure if you had a business or whatever you can I know Nancy she made some really amazing little crafts with her uh, toilet paper rolls but I can promise you I go through enough toilet paper rolls that I could keep her busy for a very long time so trash the extras the cosmetics ladies get them in the trash okay donate you can donate anything and everything but here's the sell part here's and I want to have a conversation about this and then I'll take questions guys the whole selling thing we have clients who have estate sales after they move because they do have some nice things and the things that can be sold can help offset the cost of your move right uh, most of us don't have enough stuff that we're gonna make millions of dollars when we sell it it's just normal household stuff but at what point did we decide that the dining room table and chairs that we paid $5,000 for is worth $5,000 today or even $3,000 today or even $1,000 today what point did we decide that so I'm going to give you a rule of thumb that the consignment stores use so on that uh, I think I have I have a slide on that it's bigger there we go I don't know if you can see that so we did the downsizers club did a field trip last month and we went to some consignment places and we went to some goodwills and different donation spots and uh, and here's what we learned at the K&N consignment on Western and this is a pretty strong rule of thumb at most consignment stores so they price things originally at about 50% of what you probably paid for it when you bought it they said so if you paid $5,000 for that table and chairs they're gonna price it at say 2500 then they're going to drop it at they're gonna drop it from that initial price and they're gonna drop it after 30 days 
they're going to drop it down to 50% of that. Oh, sorry, drops 10% every 20 days the first time. Okay, so every 20 days they're going to drop it by 10%. Then, after it's been there a month, uh, after that, they're going to drop it 50%. And then they're going to drop it after two months. They're going to drop it to 75%. And it gets moved, too, by the way, from the main showroom that you see there to what they call at this place the bargain basement. It's, it's where the, the leftovers are, right? So what happens is you go from thinking I might get $2,500 for it to I might get $1,200 for it to I might get $500 for it to now they're don we've donated it to them and they're going to sell it and get hundred dollars for it or whatever they can get or they donate it does that make sense so how do you know what they'll take well if you can see that picture uh, there they have, they have a finite amount of space at a consignment store so they are only taking certain items they they told us explicitly we do not take armoires and we do not take big uh, entertainment centers and of course the people that were with us said well why not and they said they don't sell number one and number two they take up too much space so if you have big items that are not going to sell in their opinion they won't take them so how do you find out you send them a picture or you take a picture by and they tell you and then you decide if you want to do it they will come get it uh, pick it up and then they'll take the price of bringing it to their place the cost of picking it up off of the uh, total that you that you get for the prop. So if you get $100 for it and it costs $100 to pick it up, you don't make anything. So is it worth it? It might be. Uh, if you have some furnishings that you think are particularly unique or trendy, uh, and when I say trendy, if you still have your dining room table from 1960s, it's worth more than somebody who has a dining room table from 1990 or 2000. Yes. Because of the trend, you guys. Okay, so don't assume that the time and by the way they may not price it based on half of what you paid for it that will be priced differently because it's trending differently okay so I took a picture of one I don't have it here but it was a really cute um, glass top table with pink and white chairs it doesn't fit anything I own at my house but it was cute and somebody will buy it and they'll pay more for it than you would pay for an oak table at Mathis so don't assume that it's not worth anything. Ask somebody. I would definitely say that. But now, an estate sale, let's talk about the fees that people charge at estate sales. And I noticed that we had a couple of handouts over there. Our, our education partners have put some really great information out at their tables. So be sure to pick that up because they've got some tips and things that they have, uh, have cult cultivated for you. But there are different ways to sell things, right? You have estate sales, consignment, you have garage sales, auctions, and then, of course, Facebook Marketplace is the new kid on the block, right? Facebook, social media Facebook, has a marketplace section that you can sell stuff on. And so how do you do it? You post it, people say, I'll buy it, they pay you online, you have to have an account set up online to do it. And then, or you can get cash when you meet them, and you meet them at some neutral place and exchange the item, which I don't think it's a very safe thing to do, but a lot of people do do it. You get stood up a lot, um, and you get lots of people who want that $20 item for $10, and then ghost you, which means they never talk to you again. 
So it's, it's got its own inherent problems. So most people decide they'll just do an auction. Well, there are two different types of estate sales. There's the online auction estate sale and the traditional estate sale. And just really, you know, just putting it really succinctly, you, you do not have to do anything to prepare for these. You take the things that you want, pack them up, we get them moved, and then everything that's left, you can just say, that's it, I'm done. They, the estate liquidators, handle it. They are the ones that pull stuff out of the attic. They are the ones that pull things out of the top of the shelf above the refrigerator. They're the ones that pull the stuff out of the garage and decide if it will sell. You don't have to do any of that. What do they charge for that? Well, they're gonna charge about a buck a square foot depending on the size of your house. So if you have a 3,000 square foot house, it's about 3,000 bucks to set it up. Then they charge 35% of the total sales, which is where they make their profit. Because that dollar a square foot basically covers their labor for setting up the sale, okay? Then the estate sale goes online. Nobody ever walks through your house. They buy it, buy it online, they pay for it online. Then they receive an email that tells them where they can pick it up, which is at your residence. An estate liquidation representative meets them there, gives them the items, and off they go. They rarely, don't, a lot of times they don't even have to walk in the house. They just meet them at the door with the items, unless it's something big that they have to carry out. Is it worth it? I don't know for you if it is worth it or not. For me, it's worth it times 10. Um, hang on, Shannon, let me, let me finish this thought and then I'll grab you. So then, now comparing, some people will go, well, gosh, a regular estate sale, they're only going to charge 35% and I don't have that buck a square foot setup fee. Well, there are pros and cons to everything. They, a lot of estate sale companies don't tell you that they have additional fees for advertising, security, parking, etc. So you have to ask about that because those can add up. But let's just say it is a flat 35%. Then the question is, is everything going to sell? And I'm going to tell you right now, the answer is no. When they do an estate sale at your house, where I walk through and look around in every, at everything in your house, everything does not sell. On an online auction, every single item sells, even if it sells for a dollar. Which means when somebody comes to pick it up, it's going away, even if it's for a dollar. Which means there's no additional time after the sale where stuff has to be discarded. So a lot of estate liquidators will tell you, gosh, the realtors are terrible. So we work with obviously all our realtors and they'll call us and they'll say, uh, do you have the name of a good estate liquidator? I have a client that we're under contract and they're moving and I'm like, and they need an estate sale. When are they moving? In two weeks. When are they closing on their house? Two more weeks. So I have, you have four weeks for an estate sale? That ain't gonna happen. Not, not gonna happen. Not only can the estate liquidator not get it set up in time, but they can't advertise it to get people to it. And then once they've done the sale, they've got to have a week at least to get rid of what doesn't sell. So you have at least two months of lead time that you got to have an estate liquidator. And they go, well, what do I do? Well, well, wait a minute. They didn't hire me. They hired you. Figure it out. <laughs> well, Dickie, I don't know what to do. Well, then they're going to have to donate or store their stuff. Well, where should they store it? <laughs> I mean, this is what I'm dealing with. 
because people don't realize the time they think, oh, I'll just do an estate sale. So an estate sale is going to be costly, yes, but what is your other option? What did I just say? You have two options if you don't do a sale. Store it or donate it. <laughs> Who said take it to your neighbor's house? <laughs> Who said that? I hope it's not me because I don't have space for it. Okay. So let's, uh, let me just address this and then we'll take questions. So guys, storage, just avoid it. Good Lord. The client I was telling you about that we're moving from assisted into long-term care, they already have three storage units. They're going to rent a fourth one. Um, they're in their mid-90s. And why, guys, why? We had another client a few years back, her dad, he had multiple storage units, multiple hangers full of stuff. Um, we figured out he spent over $40,000 in storage costs. And he didn't get anywhere near that when he sold that stuff, you guys. So just ask yourself, really, like, what's the point? And then who can help? Obviously, family, friends, read some books and blogs. Professional organizers, professional move managers, professional estate liquidators. If you're going to pay somebody, yeah, it's more stuff. If you're going to pay somebody, you're going to pay probably by the hour. For most organizers or move managers, estate liquidators are going to pay a percentage. Plan on organizers charging anywhere from $50 an hour to $100 an hour. Plan on move management. Uh, if you're going to downsize and you want somebody to help you with that downsizing process, just plan on $2,500 to $3,000 uh, as a fee for that. Just flat fee, right? Just plan on that. Okay, Q&A. Let's talk about questions. Or comments. Shannon, you wanted to say something. Oh, with the estate. Jake, do we have a mic or Chris? I, do we have an extra handheld? Yeah. With the estate sales, that $3,000 against a 3,000 square foot house, that's not money out of your pocket that comes out of the sale. So both, with both estate sales, there should, there should not be money out of your pocket. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you're doing an estate sale and there are fees involved, they take that out of the net proceeds, right? Or out of the gross proceeds, rather. So we have a recent client that sold her house and they did an estate sale and they, they did not net anything extra. She basically said, for the cost of doing the sale, I received enough in compensation to offset the work. So she, she charged her zero, but she got zero. Now, you might think, well, gosh, that's not right. They sold her stuff and she didn't get any money. If she had not done that, we would have had to hire the mover to pick up the excess stuff and take it to the estate, uh, to the donation site. So it would have cost her probably $500 total or maybe a little more to get it to the donation site. You say, well, they'll just pick it up. No, they won't. If you've got kitchen stuff and stuff in cabinets, it's got to be packed in a box and it's got to be set outside, then they might pick it up. But somebody has to physically do that. Uh, they don't just come in your house and pick up stuff. We had somebody used to do that um, years ago and they stopped doing it. Uh, they just quit doing it. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. After you, after you do some decluttering, what is the advantage and or disadvantage of selling your home as is, with all the furniture in it, etc.? No, that's a great question, and, and we get that a lot. Um, if you do that, you might as well take whatever uh, 
so let's say your house is worth two hundred thousand dollars. You take you sell it for two hundred thousand dollars, and you tell the new owner everything that's in it comes with it. They're going to say that we need to subtract ten thousand dollars off the house because I'm going to have to deal with that stuff. So it can it can be done, but I'm just telling you it's not to your advantage to do it that way. Now, if you have like in our, in Florida where we live, we had a seasonal rental market there. If it was nicely furnished the seasonal rental people wanted furniture they would they would keep it so if you're used to those kind of things but here in Oklahoma in our market they want that house completely empty they don't want anything left in it they don't want your dining room table they don't want the refrigerator in the garage they don't want any of it yeah well once you get down to furniture that's usually the easiest stuff to liquidate or donate yeah that's so true you've done all yeah. the hard work at this point now let's do the easy yeah thing. if you've decluttered the furniture's easy we can get it we can get it donated we can get it moved out and we'll find a home for it but it's uh and the buyers absolutely will avoid that especially in the seller's market we're in right now they want a turnkey house that they can move into or at least start fixing up they don't want to have to deal with stuff it's as hard for them to get rid of it is for you and so they don't want to deal with it either yeah who else has a question Yes, um, I have a comment. I was at, recently at the Reach Our City uh, Rock Thrift Store, and the manager said we are now picking up furniture. So give them a call. I mean, they're picking up large items that people can't. Yeah, that's great. So just uh, as a rule of thumb, we call them before any time we either going to drop off or need a pickup because it changes from week to week. The truck breaks down. They lost a staff member. They don't have floor space. Yeah. So the rock, it's on your list. It's called uh, Reach Our City, R O C. Rockwell. It's a great, it's a great place. It's uh, it the the money goes. Uh, Mr. Frazee, what does that money go to? Uh, they donate. They donate the proceeds back to benefit people. Yeah. Yes, sir. Uh, first, let me say what you presented today is really great. And you're very dang accurate. Because I just went through all this. Uh, I would like you, though, to emphasize one more time the importance of taking your time to pack up and move. Invariably, you're going to get to your new location and God darn it, what happened to this and what happened to that? Because we didn't take our time, we hurried through the thing. Yeah. Okay. One other comment. Okay. We haven't talked about the paperwork involved. It is unreal what a family has to move in paperwork and stuff like that. Like files and things like that? <laughs> Okay, so to his first point, thank you, Mr. Frazee. They just went through this, he and his wife. They moved out to Bradford Village. They, again, they followed our process. Now, here's what, here's the, and it just occurred to me, I'm thinking, well, why did we rush? Here's what happens. Let's say you say, I'm moving to Concordia. And Concordia says, great, we have a waiting list. And you say, okay, I want to get on that waiting list. And they say, we'll call you as soon as we have a unit available that meets your needs. And you get to decide yes or no if I'm ready. So they call you, let's say, two weeks from now. Unexpectedly, you didn't think it'd be that quick. And they say, we have a unit on the floor you wanted with the space you wanted. And you go, oh, great, I'll come look at it. And you go, okay, I like it. I want it. The, the clock starts ticking. 
pretty quick, right? So Kelly says, okay, we're going to sign a contract, and you've got, you know, let's just say 30 days or so before you start paying for it. That does not mean you have to move in. It means that you're, it's just like a house. If you buy the house, you can't say to the owner, well, I like your house and I'm going to buy it, but I'd like for you to hold on to it for nine months because I'm not quite ready. It doesn't work that way. So if you're not ready, then someone else will be. So that's why we started the Downsizers Club, frankly, because the people who were like in, uh, in limbo, like they had a place picked out, they know where they're going to move, and they know that any moment they could get that phone call and so rather than rushing through the process like you know we have to do and by the way rushing is relative i want you to be really clear about this somebody may say you have 60 days and you go that's plenty of time that goes really fast it feels really fast when you're having to make all those decisions in 30 to 60 days um, the number of files and paperwork like he was saying um, it, when it's hidden in its little spot in your house or in the file cabinet or wherever it is, it, it doesn't seem like a lot. And then you start to pull it all out and all of a sudden you realize it's a lot. And so it takes time. So that's why, you know, even when we're helping people, I know uh, Martha, that's why we ended up taking so many towels, right? We feel rushed because what we started out going, oh, this is not so bad, I've got 30 days. And then by the time you get down to about two weeks, you're like, oh, I better pick up the pace. And then the week of the pack comes and you go, holy crap, I haven't even looked in that room. And that's how it, it creeps up on you. So, yeah, uh, did somebody else have the mic? No? Okay. Questions or comments? Yes, Martha, and then do you have a question or comment? Okay. He's got a mic for you. All right, and then I'll, Martha, I'll get you second. Let me get her first, then I'll get Martha second. Well, you, you mentioned collections about jewelry. <laughs> So what's your best uh, thought on, on jewelry? How do you pare it down and then Great. research? So jewelry, it goes in two categories, right? So you have fine jewelry, then you have cosmetic, costume jewelry. So you're talking about fine jewelry? Diamonds, gemstones, gold, silver, okay. Watches, okay. So jewelry, guys, is a category in and of itself, right? And so I'm, I would recommend if you have collections of those that you talk to an estate liquidator or a jeweler and just say, okay, here's what I've got. And jewelry is easy to transport, right? So you can, you can take it to them and say, this is what I've got. What do you think? And they can tell you. Now, sometimes they know people who will purchase it because they're collectors of those things, right? Um, but the good news is jewelry is easy. Jewelry can be stashed in, in your house. The only time you don't want to take jewelry with you is if you're moving to long-term care, right? If you're moving into a healthcare setting where you can't secure your residence, then you don't want that kind of stuff in there. But if you're in an independent living community like you know Bradford or Concordia or Spanish, a lot of people just take their jewelry with them. But if you're trying to get money out of it, then you need to find out from somebody who can appraise it, right? And by the way, not just for purposes of liquidating it, if you're, let's say, uh, and, and Curtis could better speak to this privately if you have this issue, but let's say I have in my will that I have this collection of jewelry and I want my kids to get it. Then if it is high value stuff, then that probably needs to be appraised. It probably needs to have a value on it so that, you know, if my kids go, well, that's great. Mom gave my brother the $42,000 ring, and I got the $2,000 gold chain. 
Well, it's because I thought she liked the gold chain and he liked the, the diamond you know, ring. Well, that doesn't usually fly in families, which we'll be talking about next week or next month on our next seminar. So have it appraised for estate purposes and insurance purposes for that matter. Uh, but also sale purposes. Sorry, not much help. All I can say is that when we had the estate liquidator do everything, that really took and relieved a lot of pressure off of us. It was taken care of, it was nicely displayed online, and like you said, everything sold. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to give numbers. Did you feel like it was worth what you had to pay to have them do it? Absolutely, and we profited also. You did get some money? Yes. Okay. And they were very honest and upfront said, sometimes we look at what you have to sell and say, we're not gonna sell, it's not gonna sell. And you have to be willing to accept that when you do that type thing, because everything starts at a dollar bid and it bids up. And if it's something somebody really wants, it'll bid up. If it didn't, it may sell for a dollar. The market decides, doesn't yeah, it? The market decides. Yeah, kind of like gas right now. Uh, so as a, note, as a note on that, so we have a client uh, that we helped move who opted to not utilize the estate sale person. And they are selling items on Facebook Marketplace one at a time. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you this. They're living in a senior community. They are they have everything they need or want there at their community. They, they only have what's left in their other house. They are selling items on Facebook Marketplace, which means they have to go meet them to get rid of that stuff, deal with all the inquiries and all the online questions and all that garbage that goes with that. And their house is worth somewhere around 300000 350000 a 400000 Oh, Shannon's saying $400,000. So $400,000 house that's sitting there now for several months in a row. They're paying insurance, taxes, homeowner's fee, and utilities on a house so that they can get $20 for this and $50 for this and $100 for this. You guys see my, see my issue? So it isn't about money. For some people, it's about control. And for some people, I'm gonna tell you what it's about, they're not ready to let go of that house. She doesn't want to sell the house. And so the longer it takes to get rid of the stuff, the longer she has to hang on to the house, right? It's up here. And so there isn't anything I could do to convince them that the way they were doing it wasn't rational, didn't make sense. Because in her mind, maybe I'll get better and I will move back, right? And so sometimes you can't convince people, and that's okay. People have their own journey. We kind of prepared them with all the potential pitfalls and said, do what you need to do, right? It's your life. It's your stuff. If you do what you need to do. My concern is that one of them is going to pass away at some point in the future, and the other is going to be left with that mess. And if they both pass away, then their kids are left with that mess, and they live out of state. So now they're going to have to come back in and take care of it. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Um, Shannon's got someone right now that she's working with, a client that has a guardian. Uh, and the estate, the, the woman passed away, the lady is having to close out the estate. Years, I, how many years, Shannon, did you say she had lived there? I forget what she said, 60 years or something in the same house. And the lady who is having to liquidate it and is in charge of that is not an heir. 
She's not going to financially benefit from anything. There are, there are children that will benefit. Guess who's upset with the lady doing the liquidating? The children. She's not doing it right. She's not doing it fast enough. She's not doing it the way they should, should be doing it. But she was the one assigned to do it. So here this house sits with all this stuff, and they're, they're doing the estate sale, and the, the adult children of that woman are, are angry and frustrated and whatever else they are. And here you've got this person who said, I care about you and I am willing to take care of your estate in the event of your passing. She's probably now wondering what in the heck she signed up for. Oh, heirs, not adult children. Nieces, nephews. Nieces, yeah, any oh, relative out of the oh, Arms length, people, even, that's even worse. And so just, you know, just know that if you don't do it, whoever you task with that, uh, in your handout, I want to point this out, and then I'll close with this. In your handout, I was very um, intentional about this month's handout. It's more of a uh, worksheet, really, for you. I want you to read the first three options, not right this minute, when you get home, and decide which of the three options makes the most sense for you to start downsizing and decluttering now, to wait until later to downsize, but to start decluttering now, or to leave things for someone else to handle. In that paragraph, it says, the last sentence says, I have advised the person responsible for this monumental task and have provided them with my wishes in writing. Now, even if you do not have your legal paperwork in place, you can still leave instructions, right? I recommend, however, and if you come next month, you're gonna hear more about why you should do this, but let's say you leave in your will that you want so-and-so to have this, and so-and-so to have that, and all that, but you have this other person in charge of handling that. Let's say you pass away and all that stuff's in your house. The first thing that someone, a personal representative, is supposed to do, and they're, they're charged with this legally, is to protect your assets, to protect the assets on behalf of the estate. Which means if something happens to my dad and I'm his personal representative, which I'm not, by the way, but let's say I am, so I would have to go in and get his house, get the locks changed, and make sure nobody can come and go out of that house if I think that somebody might take things out of it, okay? That's a huge undertaking, you guys, huge. And unfortunately what happens is the person passes away and the family gathers at their house to mourn. And the nieces and nephews are in the back bedroom going through the jewelry and going through the lockbox and going through the whatever. Does that make sense? And I'm sorry, I, I wish it didn't happen, but it does. And so who you choose is very important, but not only who you choose, but the fact that you give them the legal authority and instructions, not just, hey, I want you to do this, but here's how I want you to do it, here's who gets what. Don't just say, please do this, because then they have to make those choices. And it's really not fair for someone to have to make those choices without some sort of instruction. Um, and then on, this, on the second page, I guess, yeah, second page, it says, I give you some blanks, by the way, to write that stuff down, and then you could write it down and you could take it to your attorney and have them put it in a formal document, because what you have here is just kind of a worksheet. But then on your action plan, the action plan says, I intend to take control of simplifying my life and the lives 
of those I care about by dealing with my possessions now. And there are a series of, of basically tasks that you can go through. And I recommend that you just decide and pick one. Pick one. Do the closets or pick one. Do the bookshelves. Pick one. Uh, kind of like uh, Gaylene was back here at the Villages was having people pick a card and those little cards basically gave you one task at a time. And, you know, just start doing it. And so that's your worksheet. And then there's a list of places that you can donate stuff. Now, the caveat to donating too much stuff, I think I've said this many times in the past, is if you're going to move in, say, two years or a year or whatever, and you're going to start donating stuff now, don't donate stuff that could be saleable. So when I said that stuff's like clothing, cosmetics, books, donate that stuff. Just go ahead and deal with that. But you don't have to donate furniture, and you don't have to donate dishes and household items that are usable because those will be handled by the estate liquidator, right? Um, so there's a mix between decluttering trash and decluttering stuff. So it's kind of a catch-22. Um, used to, I said, don't touch anything. Don't get rid of anything. Just leave it all there. We'll deal with it when you move. But again, most recently, the stress that people are under during that period of time has made me kind of change and say, let's start thinking about this ahead of time. The money may not be as important as your health and your well-being during the move, the stress that you're under, right? Let's, it, let's, see, let's, see, let's see, don't get a couple thousand dollars because you've donated some stuff. That's worth it. That's worth it for the stress that you're under, yeah. All right, did you guys learn something today? Are you going to take some action? All right, good. You have an evaluation form. Please fill it out and give it to Jim. You have uh, on that evaluation form, if you decide you want to be a part of the Downsizers Club, you can check the box and we'll call you and give you the details uh, about how that works. And then next month is the, the talk about um, getting your affairs in order. If you have a church or a, a group that you go to and you would be willing to uh, share with them a breakfast meeting that we're doing for pastors, uh, Danielle has those invitations back there. We're going to talk with them about our downsizing services because they, they need to know for their congregations what's available out there. So pick one up from Danielle if you want to take it to one of your uh, pastors at your place of worship. Thank you guys for coming. Give yourselves a hand. Woo